1: Welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name is Rachel Turner, and this week we are talking, well, you know how we just wade into everything. So this week we're talking about sexual harassment. Sure, why not? Uh, it's been popping up a lot in the news, repetitively over years, of course, but uh, recently we've had sort of two big things come out in the news. Um, one about uh, the sexual abuse and sexual harassment that has been happening in secondary schools as a Young people have been reporting that through a new hotline, and uh, there's been a a recent report coming out from the government about universities being mandated to handle sexual harassment on campuses better. And I think it raises for us a a question of how do we raise our kids, how do we raise our boys and girls um, to... Uh, live in a world where this happens, and how would he raise them to not participate in it? So we're going to be looking at that. Uh, we're going to be listening to Anna, who has been in hospital with her uh, newborn. She just gave birth last week, and she uh, posted on on Facebook uh, sort of an answer to a question that many of us ask in our hearts, but rarely ask out loud, which is, "How do we catch from God?" when we're just sort of at the end of ourselves, end of exhaustion, just not even knowing how to process that. And I thought it's an important question that she was answering. And so uh, we're going to be listening to her answer from hospital on that. And uh, we'll be listening to Lucy Rycroft, who uh, has a, a fantastic family of birth children and adopted children. She's going to be talking to us about how Parenting for Faith plays out and all of that. So let's jump on in. Uh, As I said, this is something that happens to the world. Sexual harassment is something that many of us cope with. It's something that many of us are surrounded by. And when we look at our children being raised in this world, how do we raise our children to not be sexual harassers? And how do we raise our children to be surrounded by friends who may participate in that and when it may be coming at them? And uh, I am... Obviously, not an expert. I do not have a PhD in uh, avoiding sexual harassment, but I do think there is something about stepping back and and not just focusing on the behavior, but focusing on the discipleship that shapes a character that we really as parents can wade into. Uh, because so often we just focus on the behavior. We want the behavior to stop, which I agree with. I want the behavior to stop. But I also want to raise children who have the heart of God about this issue. And that is a, a slightly different angle of how we disciple our kids in this. So my suggestion, I just have four, I guess, areas to think about as we parent our kids. We look at this world, we say, I want, I want passionate, responsible children who protect others and who, who guard how they, how they treat Uh, other people with integrity and honesty and so I would suggest there are these four areas you might want to talk about and to disciple with your kid one I think there is something about respecting people's nose um I say it all the time and not nose like the one on your face we don't respect people's noses uh When someone says no, when someone is uncomfortable with your behavior, when someone responds uh, negatively, when we when someone says, oh, no, I don't like that. How do we respond to that? Um, And and for me and my family and and a, a sort of what I really advocate for others is that no means no. When it comes to the little stuff, because I think often just in regular life, we learn to plow past people's no and so, you know, whether it's tickling, whether it's uh, teasing, <clears throat> teasing, whether it is. Uh, when someone you know you say hey you want to go do this and they go no and you go oh come on you try to you know persuade them and jiggle them out of their no that that when when someone else says no do we respect that no and instantly stop instantly accept that or do we feel that we can power past it that we can persuade them off it that we can uh, just go past it because they secretly don't mean those nos uh, and that can be surprising for other people sometimes when you do respect their no uh, but it does train other people that that i believe your no means no If you say no, I'm not going to try to talk you off your corner. Uh, No means no. And that can be really powerful for children to feel like their no can be respected and that when they say no, they mean it and they expect other people to respect that no. And that when other people say no to them, they learn how to accept it quickly, how to stop their body from doing it, how to pivot without getting offended or angry that we do that. And that can come out in our relationships with our kids, You know, when you're tickling them or when they say no to you obviously not you know in like please clean your room and they say no and you're like i respect that obviously wisdom but in terms of personal choice and how they feel comfortable things like that how um when you say no to them that they respect that but also in sibling relationships and friendship relationships you know if if you have a a kid over who's at your house and you see your child not respect their nose do you do you discipline that? Do you say, oh, we respect people's no's in this house? Do we um, reinforce when someone says, no, they mean that, and I expect you to take that space and and respect that, to not get mad that somebody doesn't want to do what you want them to do? That sense of of owning that is can be quite a, a, a powerful thing to give that sort of dignity and voice to that. Um, a second thing that is really worth thinking about is, the idea that my voice is powerful, scripture talks about, you know, the the power of life and death is in the tongue, and how sort of not only uncontrollable, but how powerful what we say is, and I... I really advocate discipling our kids and how powerful their voice is. You know, teasing can can be something that sticks with people for a really long time. It is never really just a comment that you throw out at someone. It's not something that when you get aggressive with your words, when you choose to use your words to enforce something to voice your opinion about something to, uh, call out something that you think would hurt somebody else. That is powerful. And I expect you to treat your voice as the weapon and blessing that it is. And so sometimes, um, if we want to avoid a, a future of how our children treat other people and, uh, tolerate being treated there is something about saying that your voice is powerful and I am going to be on your voice uh, because that is one of the most powerful things you have and to hold them to account for what they say and how they say it and the tone they say it in and how they do it There, there's a sense of holding them accountable for the negative things they say but also for the positives to say when you say this it makes me feel this when you uh, encourage me it makes my heart feel strong when you uh, say something soothing to my heart. It's like, it's like um, pouring cool water over a, a burn on my heart that just that those really kind words say that to teach them all the positives and strengths of their voice, but also the negatives of their voice and how to how that it can't be unwound. That can be a really significant thing as well, that your voice is powerful. A third thing that is worth sort of pondering as you watch your kids grow and as you disciple your kids, I think is is the idea of controlling behavior. Um, I'm so struck in, in how God invites us onto a journey with him, how God um, invites us into relationship with him, but he, he doesn't, take us over like puppets and control us. He he respects our no, <laughs> uh, even when our no is a terrible choice. Uh, but he also refuses to control us. He gives us this free will. And yet there's something inside of us that seeks to control others. And I find it a really useful thought when we're parenting our children to highlight to them that that, that is a a normal sinful response to not getting what you want is to try to control other people. That there are times, you know, you can create windows into your life, you can frame for them that that when somebody else doesn't do what you want I know there's like something inside of us that says well I'll make it happen. So if, you're, if your sister doesn't want to give you her toy, there's something inside of you that says well I'll just take it. I can control this situation. Or if your friend doesn't want to play with you and you grab them and say you will play with me and I can make you do this. The sense of using my desire that is stronger than your desire to make it happen. And that happens inside of all people that desire to control someone else. And, and that's a thing that is not okay. It's not of God. And it's not how we treat other people. We don't let our desires overwhelm somebody else's desire. And so that's a big thing. And to to notice that when your kids are doing that, to notice when your kid is getting frustrated and so deciding to control other people, to note when they're playing with their friends and you notice controlling behavior, whether it's manipulation, whether it's physical um, aggression. I think those conversations about manipulation I find really interesting with a 10-year-old, with a 7-year-old to say, "Mm, I feel like you're trying to use your words to manipulate me to do what you want to do because you don't like my choice. and I'm going to say no to your manipulating your words, but to also help then help them notice when other people are using manipulative tactics on them to be able to note when I say, I see that you're getting so upset. You're using your body to try to control me. or you are trying to use your body to control somebody else to make it happen? That's not okay. Let's talk about what's going on inside of you. What are you feeling? What are your choices right now to coach them through that controlling response? Because um, so often this stuff about sexual power and harassment is 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 about this attempt to control. And the fourth thing that I would suggest would be worth pondering and and working with your kids about in this area is about, well, I call it being heavy. Um but it's it's a sort of awareness that your attention, that your choices bear weight, that so many children often feel like they're on the side, that they're like a a feather when something bad happens, when they see something occurring, that they are as light as a feather, that they can't make it stop, they can't help, they're just on the outside, and it kind of doesn't matter what they do. And I tell kids that you are heavy when you see something happening around you when you see um, someone using their body to control somebody else someone using their their voice to control somebody else or destroy someone else someone not respecting somebody else's no you standing on the side is making a choice you are putting your weight with the person who is hurting that other person that just by by doing nothing you have chosen to put your weight there and so i I see God constantly putting his weight. I see Jesus constantly putting his weight for the poor and the needy, uh, the undefended, the voiceless. And that's what we're called to do. And so when you see something happen, my question to you is where are you going to put your weight? Because your voice is powerful and your body is strong and your choices matter. And so how are you going to do that? And sometimes we need to run scenarios with our kids. Our, you know, talk to our 13-year-olds about how if your friends say this, what are you going to say? And how are you going to do it? And have you heard it? And tell stories of your life so that they are prepped of where to put their body and where to put their voice so that they know that they are heavy. They are never light. They can do something about it. And it's very important that they do. And so those are just a a couple of of ideas of of parenting choices of things to talk about and think about in our parenting, because uh, this is happening in the world. And we want to raise children who bring God wherever they go. And that's in how they treat other people. It's in how they perceive the world around them. It's how they notice what's happening to them, what's happening around them, and how they choose to participate. I hope that's just giving you some food for thought to begin. Chat and Catch is such a blessing. Uh, We call Chat and Catch uh, just a way of two-way prayer that we often advocate to help kids uh, connect with God. And it's just an informal way of them finding their own voice, of us all finding our own voice with God, of sharing everything with him and catching all of his communications back to us in many different forms. And uh, a question or two has, has arisen sometimes of, of how do we, how do we catch from God? How do we perceive his communications when things are really bad and we struggle to catch from God in that way? How do I help my kids uh, if they're struggling in that way? And uh, my colleague, Anna, who you've heard many times on this podcast uh, has been pregnant, as some of you may know, and uh, gave birth to her kid last week. And it's been a bit of a rough ride. And while she was in hospital, she's still in hospital, but while she has been in hospital. She's been reflecting on this very question and uh, posted to Facebook about it. And so we just want to pull that audio and share a little bit with you on on her reflection of uh, how to help yourself and how to help your kids when uh, maybe Catch is feeling a bit hard because of the circumstances they're in. Hi, everyone. Anna here.
0: I am in hospital. This is day five. My baby was born on Wednesday. So I am thrilled and super super excited that she's here um but it's been a little bit of a rough ride she is in neonatal and has some uh some extra challenges going on um and it was all all a bit strange um but it's got me thinking about how we connect with god in the difficult times i am so tired i don't know which way is up Um, i can't answer simple questions and so thinking about praying is just really hard even though i know I really need God and one of the things that has really helped me has been people sending me songs um, so just a YouTube link or whatever and saying hey I'm praying this over you or here's something to listen to when I can't, when I don't have any words for God um, I can still just be surrounded by worship and by his presence and I was thinking about how it's a really useful um, way of doing chat and catch when you're tired So I don't, that could be because you've got a child in hospital or you've got a new baby or you've just got a family situation going on that's really tough and maybe other people don't know. Um, But why not ask God today for a song? Could be for you uh, or it could be for someone else. So just say, hey God, which song do you want to remind me of today? And then ask who it's for. If it's for you, just put it on, stick it on your phone, have it in the background. And if it's for someone else, you could send it and say, hey, God just reminded me of this song and I wanted to send it to you today. It's pretty low pressure way of catching from God because you're not gonna do any harm, are you? By sending someone a nice song and an encouragement. Um, But I really believe that God can speak through that and help us and um, yeah, use that load. So a little chat and catch idea from hospital. See you soon.
1: For our wild card segment today, we have Lucy Rycroft here, a fantastic uh, blogger. She uh, has written multiple books and uh, she has a wonderful family of uh, birth children and adopted children, and she has a lot of wisdom in uh, who God is in the midst of all of that and how to parent for faith. And so, uh, Anna, I believe, sat down with uh, Lucy a little bit ago and had a conversation.
2: So, I'm here with Lucy Rycroft. Lucy, could you introduce yourself? Hi Anna, it's lovely to be here. Um, I'm Lucy, I'm married to Al and we live in York with
3: our four children who are aged five, five, eight and ten. Uh,
2: Two are adopted and two are birth children. So I'd love to know a little bit more about um, how you became an adoptive parent. Uh, What role did your faith play in that decision? So, yeah, I mean, it was truly God calling us to do it. I can't
3: imagine how we would have arrived at this decision without a faith, really. Um, way back before we had birth children, the thought of adoption absolutely scared me rigid, which I think people are quite kind of uh, interested to hear because um, lots of people say, you know, they've wanted to adopt since they were really little or whatever. And, and that just wasn't us at all. We were absolutely petrified mm. of the thought of adoption. Um you know, I I was petrified of not being able to have birth children. That was something in particular that I was struggling with. And I was even more convinced that we would never be able to have birth and adopted children if it came to that, because I just wouldn't be able to love them equally. And yet, interestingly, Mm. I was thinking about this recently. And I think the fact that we were thinking about adoption back then, even though it was quite negatively and very much as a last resort, I think God was planting a seed even back then. Um, Mm. We definitely saw adoption as a sort of you know, if we can't have birth children, we'll go down that route, but we just weren't feeling very excited about it. Um, But the the moment when we did start to feel properly called and excited about it, well, that was just after the birth of our second child. So it was literally like within weeks, I was up feeding her in the night. Um, I was reading the blog of an old friend who had adopted, and I just started to feel kind of jealous, actually, bizarrely, Uh, jealous Mm. of her family, you know, and her setup. And I realized that this was God kind of stirring my heart to do what she'd done. And mm. yeah, so that's that's how it all started, really. And then he got us really excited. But I think it was really God's grace that he kind of allowed us to, to sort of feel negatively about it first. And then he changed our hearts very dramatically after we'd had two birth children.
2: Yeah, amazing. And how did you explain it to your birth children? Our birth kids were
3: five and three when we were going through the process. But we started to talk to them much earlier on and... Um, In fact, whenever they asked whether I was going to have another baby in my tummy, I would bring up adoption and say, well, you know, how about we have another child whose mummy and daddy can't look after him or her? Um, Mm. So even when they were very little and starting to ask those questions, we started to kind of introduce the idea of adoption. I can't remember whether I verbally framed it for them in terms of our faith but I think I hope that for them it was kind of part of a bigger picture where we'd always had an open home they were used to welcoming others into our family for meals and overnight stays and that kind of thing so adoption was kind of I hope framed within this kind of hospitable lifestyle which I hope they connect to our faith really I hope that they see that this is part of our lifestyle as Christians that we share what we have and we give to those who need it so it was more sort of (laughs) there was nothing particularly planned about it but I hope that they kind of just see it as an extension of the hospitality that we give from week to week
2: yeah no that's amazing and have you found significant differences so you're in quite an unusual position of having birth and adopted children when you're thinking about kind of parenting for faith and inputting into them spiritually um is it very different or quite similar so at the moment, because our kids are fairly young, and um, they're still fairly trusting of what we teach them and f- of what they get
3: from church. So in terms of parenting them for faith, it's very similar across the four of them. Um, in fact, mm-hmm. I think maybe our adopted children get a better deal than our birth children because I did the parenting for faith course when they were younger, so they've kind of benefited <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> from those things a bit earlier. Um, but when we first adopted, our boys were 14 months old, they're twins, and I was kind of, this is, seems a really silly fear. I was sort of slightly worried that they'd be a bit behind in their understanding, you know, because they hadn't had any church experience at that point. This might mm. sound a bit ridiculous because, you know, what do you expect from a 14-month-old after all? But I kind of, I just don't think we should underestimate the impact of a Christian experience on a baby or a small toddler. You know, they might yeah. not be able to communicate their understanding, but it's all going in um, a bit like the language, you know, that a child picking up language. They absorb so much in that first year of life. They might not be talking or saying recognisable words but of course they're listening all the time and their brain is learning a language I remember yeah. our daughter I don't think she can have been more than about one and it was sometime after Christmas but I said the word baby and she made the sign for Jesus I hadn't given her that we weren't even talking about Jesus I don't think but she kind of connected the two because she'd absorbed the Christmas story And that made me think, you know, gosh, they are learning all the time. Their brains are so active. Yeah, definitely. Um, So that kind of thing, I was a bit like, you know, are we going to have to play catch up with our boys? Um, But actually, God has been very good. And our adopted boys, they've always enjoyed books. So that's been one way that they've absorbed a lot of the head knowledge of our faith through enjoying mm. having Bible stories read to them. And I think, again, parenting for faith is very useful here. I've realised that actually head knowledge is only part of what we want to nurture in our kids anyway. It is important, mm. but if that's all you do, then it becomes difficult for a child to discover a heart need for Jesus. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, it becomes about others, but it's not about them personally. Um, yeah. You know, I think it's possible to be quite detached. So... Yeah, so I think that's something that we've tried to nurture, and you know, at the moment, um, all four children are are very positive about church. They're very positive about um, prayer and and having Jesus in their life. So we'll see see where that goes. at they as they get older, we we struggle, you know, like any parent does, with with kids who don't want to pray or kids who don't want to read the Bible or whatever. But um, yeah, largely uh, there haven't they haven't been as many glitches maybe as as I might have imagined.
2: Yeah no that's really encouraging and what about for you personally um that experience of becoming an adoptive parent um what's that taught you or has it affected your relationship with god what what does that look like for you
3: i always say that god led us down this path for our benefit more than for our boys <laughs> because he's teaching us just so much through them um, one thing is that neither of us are very patient people and um, neither me or my husband we're incredibly impatient and there is nothing that tests patients as much as a child with attachment disorder <laughs> i can't explain it but there are just kind of ways that our children test the boundaries with us that are kind of different to how our birth children will test boundaries and um, yeah you know they push us away um, they have this deep rooted sense of shame, which kind of affects their behavior and their response to discipline and that kind of thing. So basically everything we ever knew about raising children has been challenged and unlearned and relearned slightly differently. So it's really, mm. really grown us And some of those fruits of the spirit, like patience, kindness, gentleness, those kind of things really come to mind. Um, but I think for me, it's also really highlighted our brokenness as parents and as adopted children of our father God. And now I know the reality of what adoption is like. I'm more amazed that God would do that for us, even even though we didn't kind of turn to him first. You know, he was always going to do that. That was always in the plan. Even before we turned to him, he decided Mm. to adopt us, you know, and he made plans to do that through Jesus. And that's that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, so powerful. Thank Mm. you for sharing that. And um, there are probably some people listening who aren't going to adopt or foster themselves, but they have people in their churches who are going to do that. Um, what would you say are kind of the best ways that they can support them and still be part of that journey? Firstly, I'd say listen without judgment.
3: The child you see in church may be very, very different at home. And um, So do empathise with what the parent is telling you and what the challenges are. Just because that child has perfectly behaved in church does not mean that that's the case at home and that parent might Mm. be exhausted. So, you know, don't listen to them thinking, oh, they're making all this stuff up, you know, (laughs) listen and and believe what they're saying and empathise with what they're saying. Also see it as a ministry in its own right. Don't necessarily expect an adoptive parent to have much other capacity Um, in Mm. fact if you can you know try and free them from other responsibilities at church so that they can love and minister to their child because that is totally biblical caring for vulnerable children is a command throughout the bible so what they're doing needs to be upholded by you and it needs to be upholded by the rest of the church so just Mm. kind of that awareness that they might be more tired, they might be more emotionally drained um, because of of the act of service and and of love they're they're pouring out. And I'd also flag up the Home for Good website, which is homeforgood.org. And if you add a slash blog to that, then you'll get to a whole host of really useful articles, which will help you understand and support better. Um, And of course, if you join my mailing list, then I'll flag up these articles as well, as well as my own uh, blog posts on adoption.
2: Yeah, brilliant. I think often just as soon as you do a little bit of research and get a bit better informed, that sparks more ideas and more awareness. It all helps, doesn't it? Absolutely, and it can just be as simple as reading one article, which just gives you a little insight.
3: You know, uh, one of my um, greatest friends, who's a godmother to one of my twin boys, I'm just I'm amazed at her understanding. She's not an adopter herself, but. You know she's just she's taken so much time she reads my blog she reads home for good she absorbs a lot of information about adopted children and i'm really i'm really proud of her i'm really impressed with her because i'm not sure i would have done the same in her situation but she's just totally Mm. on it she's totally empathetic she listens she never judges and she's a wonderful godmother to our
1: youngest A question to start an interesting conversation with your kid about God this week is, what is one song that you have listened to, could be a worship song, could not be a worship song, that you felt God was communicating to you through? That you were listening to it and you thought, oh, I think God's telling me something, or I really met with God when I listened to this song. What is one song where you've met with God and felt like he was whispering to you through? Have a great week.